Hello, and welcome to the State of Talk podcast, brought to you by the International Society for Conversation Analysis. I'm one of your hosts, Elliot Hoy, an assistant professor at the Free University of Amsterdam. In this episode, you'll hear an interview with Melissa Stefanovic, assistant professor of social psychology at Tampere University in Finland. Melissa's research spans an impressive range of topics, notably featuring a series of papers on power and authority in interaction, or deontics as it's come to be known, uh, in studies of things like proposals and joint decision-making in a range of contexts. She's also published on emotion, affiliation, empathy, and participation in interaction, along with a number of collaborators. She is one of the editors of the volume Joint Decision-Making in Mental Health, and has also edited special issues on epistemics and deontics in directives, and uh, most recently, on conversation analysis and sociological theory. In this interview, uh, we asked Melissa to talk to us about her path into CA, about some of her current research, and what has inspired her over the years. So I'm very pleased to bring you this interview, which was conducted asynchronously, meaning uh, we sent Melissa some questions and she recorded her responses. So what you'll hear then is a little introduction to each question, followed by some responses from Melissa about her life and career in CA in her own words. We started out by asking Melissa uh, to tell us a little bit about how she got into ethnomethodology and conversation analysis. That is, what were her sort of initial experiences that led her um, into the discipline? I had a training as a musician and I was working as one. But then I got a baby and during the maternity leave, I wanted to learn something new. And so I started taking classes in social psychology at the Open University. In one of the study materials, I then encountered the phrase ethnomethodological conversation analysis. And it just sounded really intriguing to me. I had been dreaming about doing a PhD. uh, And as a musician, I didn't care that much about which discipline uh, this PhD should be part of. But I was quite interested in the different types of methods that one could use in a PhD project. So I googled this mysterious phrase, ethnomethodological conversation analysis. And as a result of my Google search, I found out that uh, Esa Lehtinen had uh, done his PhD thesis by using this method. During my youth, I had gone to the same school uh, with him and his uh, brothers. And with one of his younger brothers, we had at some point realized that But actually, this family and all these brothers, they were my cousins, cousins, cousins. So given this very tight family relationship, I um, thought that maybe I could also Google Esa's telephone number and call him and ask what this ethnomethodological conversation analysis is about. And this is what I did. Then my main question to Esa was whether this method would be something that I could learn and whether I could apply it in in a PhD. And he said that, well, it's certainly possible, but you can do it alone. You can do it by yourself, but you need to contact other researchers who are using CA. And somehow I needed to find a way to attend to data sessions because this was something that ESA really emphasized. At that time, there were no Zoom data sessions around and attending to data sessions was very complicated at first. 
um, these data sessions that I could attend to were in Helsinki, and I live in Loima, which is about three hours away from uh, Helsinki. And I was breastfeeding a baby, and and all things were quite complicated um, to organize my going to Helsinki. But I had no choice if I wanted to pursue this. This was the only thing that I could do. Later on, I got affiliated with the research group by Ansi Peräkylä, and all the practical things became easier and easier. Then we asked Musa to say something about uh, what she's been working on recently. I'm currently in the middle of two projects. The previous one had to do with joint decision-making in mental health rehabilitation, where we did both ordinary CA work and some CI-informed experiments on joint decision-making in the context of depression. The new project is some type of an extension of my previous projects, but here the focus is on how participants retrospectively account for those very interactional phenomena that we have been previously examining through CA methods. So in this sense, it's not only about CA, but something in which we also use the tools of discursive and narrative analysis, as well as positioning theory. One of the main ideas here is to shed light on how the subtlety of those interactional events that people may experience as problematic, how these can um, be addressed in retrospect. We want to investigate how problematic experiences and accounting for them may be subject to various cultural constraints and even systematic biases. And this is something that I've been thinking about ever since I did my first studies on deontic authority and on the negotiation of deontic rights. What would happen if a person would try to account for such subtle negotiations in retrospect? So I'm happy for the possibility to look into this issue now. Next, uh, we want to know about uh, any key piece of advice that she gives students, you know, concerning uh, how, to about, how to go about analysis, how to do recording, or any professional aspect of working in this field. Well, one piece of advice that I always give uh, to my students is that critique is a gift. And not only the so-called constructive criticism, but also the less constructive stuff. What is good research and what is not? It's something that's ultimately socially determined. And all types of critique can give you a hint of what type of research is um, acceptable at the present moment. And what are the things that you currently should not do? So in case you have wonderful creative ideas that do not fit well with what's currently appreciated, one needs to find a way to package these ideas in a way that is acceptable at the moment. And this can sometimes be a great challenge. And critique is very valuable from this point of view, because in all forms, uh, it, um, it offers a very good view on what is currently going on in the academia and how your ideas fit with that. We then asked Melissa to tell us something, uh, something that's changed the course of her research, be it a, a paper, a lecture, uh, a mentor, or anything like that. This is a tough 
question. I immediately start to think about various papers and conference presentations that have really had a strong impact on me. But when I start to think uh, about it more carefully, whether these have really changed the course of my research, I might still need to say no. It has been more like these uh, papers confirming to me that I'm on the right path and perhaps encouraged me and helped me to clarify my own thoughts with respect to something that I had already been thinking about. However, if I think about this a little bit more, I think that my interest in prosody and prosodic matching in particular was something that can be attributed to a very single event like this. Even if I was a musician, I had never thought of studying prosody myself, but I had kind of ignored all talk about that as not something that I should be looking at. But it was in Mannheim in 2010, uh, in an in a ICA conference, where I heard one presentation by a PhD student, and he was talking about prosodic matching. And indeed, uh, I, can, I can remember the name of the student. It was Jan Gorsch. I'm not sure whether he is currently doing CA, but anyway, in his talk, uh, he played a couple of examples of prosodic matching, uh, which made me think about this phenomenon in a, in a new way and as something that is really something to look at. I don't remember the analytic claims that were made in the presentation or any other details, but just hearing these couple of examples in which the participants were saying totally different things, but they were totally matching each other's pitch contours. And it sounded like no coincidence, but as something... Um, something important. So I kind of became a believer <laughs> that something like this is really socially meaningful. And it was this kind of a one-time thing. And after that, I started to listen to all my data with kind of new ears. I didn't give up all my previous research plans, but this interest in prosody has become a um, systematic part of what I do. Next, we broached maybe a sensitive question, and that's uh, it's something that I think researchers do think about, and that's, you know, if you have some idea, some analysis that you put out into the world, and you're really proud of it, um, but it doesn't quite get the same, um, let's say, a commensurate reaction from the readership or the audience that you had hoped for, but which you nonetheless um, still have a soft spot for. Well, this is indeed a bit face-threatening question. But yes, there are some publications in Finnish, which I think are quite good, but which are largely inaccessible even to Finnish researchers, let alone to researchers outside of Finland. One is about pastors and cantors reading and reciting hymn lyrics in co-construction and partially in overlap. And I think that this paper is quite interesting from various perspectives, but as I said, it's it's largely inaccessible and uh, it hasn't been read, I think, by by anyone except the editors and myself. And lastly, uh, a similar question. Is there some work by another person or another team, um, something either recent or historical, that you feel hasn't quite gotten the attention that it that it deserves, but you think is you know a quite nice paper? 
a similar vein, I think that there is one Finnish paper by Ansi Perakula and his former students, which I think is worthy of much more attention than it has been. Uh, it's the paper that has been published in the journal Sociologia, Sociology, and the title of the paper in English is something like The Construction of a Social Relationship in Interaction. And uh, especially from the social psychological point of view, or social psychological CA point of view, this paper includes so many important ideas that are all packaged in a very short and accessible paper that I think that every student could read quite easily. Yeah, some of the ideas are the lack of reciprocity, where, which has been described as constant mutual reinforcing the asymmetricities of action. And um, then lack of explicit agency marking, uh, which has been described uh, both as a display of delicacy, but also as imposition. And uh, then it has described interaction as constituting of moves to establish connectedness and then sabotaging the connectedness in the next turn. And uh, given that this paper was published already in 2002, I think that it should actually be a classic, but uh, this hasn't probably been the case in Finland either and internationally even less. If you have ideas or want to participate in the ISCA newsletter or our podcasts and other projects, please go to conversationanalysis.org and reach out to us. We love your input in what we're building, which we hope is a truly international connection amongst our EM and CA communities. Our theme music is Ethnomethodology by Peter Daniel off of the album Convulsive Listening.